Hello and welcome to episode 350 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 25th of November 2020. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Graham Smith. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello. Hello. I was glad, I'm glad you did Graham first because um, I was just taking a little uh, mouthful of port. It's incredible. At, oh. very, at the stupid time, at the very stupid time. I just ate an entire very small tiramisu very quickly. <laughs> and and I I don't know so I don't know if this is connected to the little tiramisu but I am having the weirdest deja vu like this isn't a bit like I just sudden something about eating a tiramisu and being ready to talk about a destiny expansion is just sort of like echoed to me through time <laughs> I think I'm having a bit of an out-of-body experience hang on sorry <laughs> well you've had six years of destiny I think six something yeah like that. Yeah, and right. You've had a lot of tiramisu, so you know. <laughs> I do love tiramisu, the time pudding, um, like uh, which is uh, all but a destiny plot arc. The um, no, seriously, do you ever have the, that kind of deja vu? So weird, where it's like a so strong, where it's like a memory, like a fake memory. It's a, is it the sort of one where you can actually project ahead, and you do have a not a little bit, just more than just a sense of what's going to happen yeah, next. Sort of, but like my memory is of like recording a podcast with you and Graham, which is an unusual mix of people because it's not a combo that would have existed previously at a time yeah. where we've recorded an absurd number of podcasts, and I'm still playing Destiny, and Destiny is blue now, and all of those <laughs> things are true. So maybe, maybe I have been sent back in time. <laughs> in order to say I, i'm sorry for derailing this so soon that was a very good tiramisu how are you i both? need to know i need to know about the tiramisu though um why is it small is was it a small portion oh it was just you, you know selected from a larger one or was it a was it a very small packet no you know um you know when you're in sainsbury's and they have those bits at the end of the aisle that are uh, angled towards you based on the idea that when you get past the milk you will be a little sad and you're quite likely to buy two little tiramisus for a pound. I was <laughs> caught by that yesterday. I, it caught me at the right moment in my life where I was like, I did just come in for milk, bread, eggs, and beans. Um, but I will buy these little tiramisus. Treat myself. Tiramisu track. track. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I did. And I had one yesterday and I had one now. And I've also traveled in time recently. But like I say, how are you? Very well. I'm <laughs> pretty good. I just had a, a Chinese. I had some sweet and sour pork bowls. They didn't transport me through time, though. So now I feel like I'm going to go on Just Eat and leave them a bad review. <laughs> Non-transcendent. <laughs> it's the last. Instead, it was just like the last. The last pork ball I had was quite fatty, and so I just had that sense, <laughs> sensation of of swallowing something that felt as if it had been coughed up from my own throat beforehand. <laughs> grim. I've still got the impression of it on my tongue now. Just like deja vu. <laughs> I feel like we've 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 described some kind of divine spectrum here from transcendent supermarket pudding to the the memory which comes from the future to the kind of terrestrial, oh so terrestrial memory of a football uh, that will linger even as it emanates from the past. Makes you think. No. It? Yeah, I was just thinking about the concept of food emanating from the past and and how often that happens. 
I will try and I will try and stifle any emanations from the food in my belly, so as not to make editing any harder for Marsh than it normally would be. This is um, this is how we do a podcast, isn't it? It's been a I few weeks so. for me. I and think I this is how it works. Break it that long. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of of blasts from the past, um, <laughs> which is what we're trying to avoid desperately in this case. Um, uh, there's been the uh, the Golden Joystick Awards again. There's some winners to 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 discuss. If you'd Big like winners. to join me, Big winners, yeah. Uh, the Golden Joystick Awards being the annual um, uh, public voted uh, game awards uh, that I have a, a a personal connection to because I was the editorial director for it for a couple of years, and also um, I think I've done every single thing you can do at the Golden Joysticks, including be nominated for one. So. Um, I'm I'm in, I'm well positioned to, to say that it's definitely a list. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to write any jokes. How did they do it this year? I didn't watch it. Um, I but... I think it was obviously it was entirely remote because there's yeah. no Bloomsbury Ballroom to go to. Um, so it was all kind of like skits from home sort of thing, like I... people doing individual little videos and things. Shamefully, despite wishing everybody involved in the production of that show very well, because I've worked with them all. Uh, I don't know because I didn't. I didn't watch it this year. Um, <laughs> I, I forgot it was happening. In fact, um, but it did happen. Don't want to sound. Don't want to lower the enthusiasm level too much. And who won? The public has voted. Who won? And who did they vote for? Uh, they voted they for The Last for? of Us Two. That, that won. Hey, I I bought that just yesterday. Did I you? started playing it just yesterday. How are you finding it? Um. I I think that I bought it at the precisely the right time, not only because it was uh, 42% off in the um, Sony Black Friday mm. uh, um, sale, but also because I don't have any skin in its game. And so I can actually just unironically just enjoy, well, I don't know, <laughs> enjoy is the wrong word and it's always been the wrong word around that game, but I've just appreciated it, um, just its beauty and the, its attention to detail and stuff without... Uh, the you know the the stuff that was swirling around it around launch yeah. about kind of crunchy things and kind of and themey things and that sort of thing um so uh just the things around it you know do yeah, you think um, so, do you think people would have less of a problem with developers crunching if they called it crunchy instead <laughs> yeah i'm just doing a bit of crunchy at the moment i think that sounds quite pleasant i think i genuinely i think that would be the right way to brand crunching <laughs> It's it's like game development smooth or game development with bits, <laughs> freshly crushed game development. Uh, uh, yeah, it won many awards. It looks like so. I mean, the the thing people always forget when they're upset at the list or arguing about the golden joysticks is that it is uh, a public vote. Um, the obviously the editorial layer comes in at the shortlisting stage, uh, and so there may be things you could you could squabble about there, but. Uh, every year there's something people look at and go what why did you choose that and the point is that no one did the public did and so it's a good it's a good um litmus for, for how far your own expectations are from from those of the public but there's some there's some results in here that seem um pretty kind of dead on four guys won best multiplayer game which is you know i mean yeah. I, four guys is player populations dropped off a cliff but it does did capture the um public kind of mind in that way 
Uh, who, who done? Who won the sort of indie prize? The indie he- bits. Hades, which okay. I mean, it's, this is one of those things where yeah, it's super giant indie, I guess. Big yeah. indie, but you know, um, uh, but like big indie. <laughs> they're, they're, it's it's big big indie, um, but also like it's a good example of like that's a very popular game, so it's in that category. Probably going to sweep it. Um, what else? There's some. Uh, there's some slightly. Um, weird results the pc game of the year was death stranding okay um, yeah <laughs> and obviously okay. the, the, mecha- the mechanism there is that that's a game that's also like people are clicking through the lists and they're voting in each category and that is a game that's going to mean something to slightly more players because uh it's also going to be it's also a playstation game so you're going to get all of the playstation people yeah. voting for it so that's i don't know what an indie game thing. is but I like Death Stranding, or yeah. or I like yeah, I like Hades, right? Because you know, so yeah. it's it's just a it's a good interesting measure of like what's in the public, um, the maybe public mind, yeah. Maybe we just shouldn't ask the public what they think, though, <laughs> because maybe it is too shaped by marketing budgets above almost anything else, because that is a fairly mm. good indicator of how many people have played a game and perhaps how large of a community they have to point towards yeah. that online voting form. Yeah, that's part of it. There's also just a kind of mind share, which is the word I was looking for. It's a good measure of like what things, um, you know, uh, you know, what things sort of... What's in brains. What You know, what's in brains. But also there's a sense of like, you know, Alex, you're talking about playing the last of us after the the discourses died down but like which discourses didn't die down this year let's check because you know which things people talk about like animal crossing for example showing up at the awards because even though no one's really talking about it anymore it's definitely going to be one of those games that comes to define this year for people and i don't think that's wholly nintendo's marketing it's also the kind of unique position it was in given when it was released and what was going on yeah all the rest of that. Well, I think it's weird because I think that the discourse is also dislocated from what, you know, that, that kind of mainstream vote that goes into the joysticks as well. You know, I think there was, I'm trying to, as you were talking there, I was just trying to remember there's a game that, that, that I think that, oh, I'm not going to remember what the game is, but I was really surprised about the popularity of a game that used to be popular and then people stopped seeming to talk about it, but it's still really, really popular. Mm. Unfortunately, I don't remember what this game is. So, <laughs> so this incredibly yeah. useful insight uh, has been rendered utterly impotent. We could all just imagine that game. <laughs> it's Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> winner, winner of esports game of the year. Oh, okay. That's that's a classic example of people may not it's... be voting in the spirit of the category. There, they may have yeah. voted for the I, game. I just play. like, I just like it. I like COD. So, so yeah. Let's call it now. Let's say next year's uh, board swept by Cyberpunk. Yep, it will win yeah. every category it's in. Basically, yeah. that's uh, and that's it'll be in most of the categories as well because it somehow ended up being all the games at once. Hmm. Yeah. Be interesting to see how that pans out. Let's have a little vote of our own because I've got the nominees for the best PC game here. So okay. Death Stranding was the winner. And then the other games it was up against were Half-Life Alex, Valorant, Crusader Kings 3, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, Hades, 
Microsoft Flight Simulator, and Paradise Killer. So of those games, which would you vote for, Alex? I would, I'd have to say it has to be Alex, really. Not that I yeah. played it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you've played it. Well, already, see, this is why public <laughs> votes don't work. <laughs> uh, Half-Life Alex would have been the one I would have. I would vote for. I have played it. Uh, Chris? Probably Alex as well. Although, so I, it makes me regret not having played Paradise Killer because I know people love that. And I think Alex feels like quite a safe choice. Um, so props to the public for going for the wild card game where you fall <laughs> down a hill. <laughs> um, but that's like, those, those, that's a crazy selection of games though because you've got like Death Stranding being odd. Um, Alex being the kind of rightful, all-conquering kind of behemoth there. That and then Paradise Killer, which is entirely, you know, entirely deserving of all that recognition. Hades 2, arguably, you know. There are others. Uh, Crusader Kings, the archetypal PC proper game, you know. Mm. I don't know what's I right think, for that one. God knows. Oh uh, yeah, I've, 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 as someone who's spent a lot of time in the meetings where they shortlisted, decided there's such a weird kind of mix of like what, what, what are you looking for from the PC category? Because most games come up on PC. So is it just yeah. games? Is it just bonus game of the year? Sorry, Nintendo edition. Like, or is it, um, is it something else? I think they're, you know, they're. I think Alex is probably the obvious choice for that reason because it's the one that's like meaningfully exclusive in some way. Yeah. Um, uh, Crusader Kings would probably also be in that in that bucket, but but yeah, what is a category? What is a list? What is the <laughs> well, point? it's funny. I was just thinking because like the the PC category is much more like the the console categories are much less contentious, weirdly, because despite them also having mo- almost all the games within them, um, you can I don't know. Uh, PC just seems to uh, it's va- the values around PC are so strong and yet divergent. You know, mm. is PC about um, you know uh, incredibly deep, uh, complex games? Is it about uh, incredibly forward-thinking, technically, um, you know, you know, technically uh, amazing games? Is it about the most crowd-pleasing games? You know. Is yeah. it about pure indie games? Like, I, what is it? I don't know. I think I think every now and then, I remember what the year that um, Subnautica won PC Game of the Year, that felt like a really good marriage of game and category. Mm-hmm. It felt like, and it felt like it sort of brought a bunch of things together in terms of sort of the innovation of it and the way it was released and and the sort of simulationist sort of stuff it had going on. The fact that it was also kind of like a nod for survival games generally, which is such a PC thing. Like occasionally when the right game is there, all the pieces line up. But actually I was just making a list of, uh, as in not now, but previously coming up on Game of the Year stuff for this year for for the podcast, I just made a list of like, what are the games I played this year? Because a lot of things about this year are a bit of a blur. And at least on my list, there haven't been too many like, you know, really kind of whatever that kind of formula is, like PC games this year that, yeah. that I can think of. I think, you know, the other one that you can make a case for would be um, Valorant as a significant release by a you know, not counting mobile devices, kind of PC only developer. Um, but yeah, like, the you know in terms of there being like a a subnautica or something or a into the breach that we all kind of agree on like that was it 
like Spelunky too, maybe, but not a PC game exclusively. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So it's probably Alex then, isn't it? All things considered. It's always Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So, <laughs> well done, Alex. I'm glad that we don't have to let that joke die. Because, um, yeah. So, um, a game that the discourse has faded on, uh, but did pick up one award, or one of the actors in it certainly did, uh, is Marvel's Avengers. Um, oh. Oh. Oh, which is uh, so. Uh, the the news here is simply that a um, a sort of uh, earnings call or a financial results Q and A or, or whatever that is known as um, by Square Enix kind of recorded a, a loss and um, pinned the gaming section of that basically on the uh, cost of Avengers plus its failure to recoup that cost and that's obviously a huge shame for people watching i think we talked about the game plenty at the time i played it and finished it but it's it's kind of pretty indicative of the uh i think maybe kind of starkly indicative of the challenge of launching a game like that in this kind of destiny anthem kind of mold even with what is arguably one of the biggest licenses in the world yeah uh, you know if 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 them avengers can't do it then boy, that really isn't an easy place to compete in. Yeah, I saw that it's sold something like 60% of what they were hoping to, like it's, mm. its target. What Do you think that like with um, the Marvel Connect, you know, the Marvelness, how much of that it's, it, it's sort of the problems might lie at, because I remember when, when it was shown at E3 or whatever and, and the criticism around it were that, the characters didn't look right, you know, that the cutscene they looked terrible in mm. cutscenes and wooden and whatever. What how much do you think that um the expectations drawn by it being that big property might be at the heart of why it's not done so well? Or is it I, simply I, the game? So my answer to this would be, well, Funko Pops exist. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So you, you can't, and I apologize if anyone listening is a big Funko Pop person, so I don't mean to dunk on it or yuck your yum that spectacularly, but like you can just put, a, you you can just put, well, Funko Pops exist. Ready Player Two just came out. The point is you can write the word The Matrix on any old shit and someone will buy it. So, you know, the value of that IP is not the faithful recreation of Robert Downey Jr.'s face. It's the fact that people will see it and go, I like this. I will buy this. I don't even know what it is yet, but it's got the word I like on it and the symbol I like. On it. Like, you know, like I don't, I can't imagine it. Like, I think, I think there's something that fans will pick over in the, the depiction of those characters. And I think actually the kind of the fans that are coming around on it because of its depiction of that universe and the fact that it, you know, pushed some much more um, sort of fan favorite characters, particularly Ms. Marvel to the front of the game. Um, however, like, I can only imagine that the Marvel name would serve as a huge boost just for mainstream audiences, right? Like that is that is a huge signal to parents that this is a game your child might like, for example, in a way that anything else wouldn't be. So I can't imagine it hurt them, certainly. Yeah. No matter how wooden their Captain America might be. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? I don't, I just don't know because I I have not I've not played it. So um 
I just, yeah, I did. I just wondered that, and I, you know, I see. I think that they're about to launch their f- like release the their first, first post-launch character, which seems quite a long time for this kind yeah. of game. But yeah. was that because they've gone back to retool? Or did they originally decide aim to get that out earlier? There I'm was, like, I'm was asking delayed. you a bunch of questions. It's well, I mean, as it's, it's the Square Enix uh, spokesperson present, um, <laughs> it was delayed. I remember it was delayed. I don't know why. And I think, I, I, but I would say that's probably one of the reasons that probably contributes a bit because actually I think it's a bit of a weird game. I like the single player and there's things to like about it, but it is sort of, you know, it's 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 weird necessary to have what is explicitly basically a little MMO or Fantasy Star or Destiny style kind of, you know, persistent progression game built around um, characters that you can't really alter very much. Um it's not unusual, like that's you know how a lot of these games work, where like there's the Warframe model, where sort of expanding your roster of available playstyles is kind of the heart of the game, but that requires like quite a lot of constant support. By the time people get to the end of the single player, they are they haven't fleshed out roster. Like I got to that point and felt no need to kind of hone my characters any further than they were. I probably would have kept kind of plugging away at it if there had been two new characters to unlock in week two, you know? Like, it feels like it needs quite aggressive support to keep people's interest because I don't think there's that much else to do in it or to pursue. Um, So that could be part of it. And I don't know, I mean, that that only affects retention, so it's not necessarily going to stop it from selling enough. I I think that might be a separate issue, but I think it would also certainly... It keeps it, it, the fact that people aren't returning to it to talk about the new characters means that it's out of the public eye, right? Like, no one's talking about it because nothing's changed or happened. Whereas if we'd had, you know, it's been out for, what, two months now? If we'd had, like, you know, six new characters by now, you would at least seen a news story about it every couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That hard to do, though. It doesn't feel that different to me to all the MMOs that came out in the wake of World of Warcraft and thought, oh, we want to do what World of Warcraft does. Imagine if we did that, but with a massive film or television license attached to it. Mm. And I don't think that ever really worked even once, because I don't know. Like, MMOs just turned out to be a much more niche genre than they appeared based on the success of World of Warcraft. And I sort of feel like it's the same with this games-as-a-service model. Like, specifically, Mm. when I think about Marvel films, they are family experiences. And what mm-hmm. that means is the reason they make so much money is that you don't go on your own. You go with your two kids and your partner and your dad. <laughs> like it's a gener- <laughs> like three generations of people right. will go see those films together. And kids as young as five, six, seven will be going to see those films and maybe go see them multiple times. And their parents like them as well. And their grandparents like them as well not all of those people are going to play a games as a service looter shooter thing. Um, right. And, you know, you, you go basically just targeting the dad in that situation, except that the dad is probably time poor to the point where they don't want to play something that feels like a, a seemingly endless kind of look play with your mates kind of experience like probably at that point in their life they're playing call of duty for the six era campaign and occasional nostalgic 11 p.m 
set playstations with old friends sort of thing like mm. getting them to buy in to a, a a new game which feels like a big sort of hard to define thing which they you know isn't for anyone else in the family like i feel like if you're that person in that situation that really likes the marvel films you you own the funko pops you go see the movies probably you're more likely to buy one of the lego marvel games because your right. kids are going to be able to play it you might play it a little bit with them you know it becomes that kind of family experience it's more accessible and finite and you understand what it is and where the edges of it are and like marvel like uh, avengers as a single player experience i don't care about the faces really but i don't think they ever really did a good job of selling what the fantasy of those characters are not like if you compare it to spider-man games for example Mm which are just you're going to swing around and in a big city with webs and be a kind of cheeky spider-man like okay cool i'm all about that but (laughs) this sort of weird squad combat thing where all of the characters are forced into a mold that doesn't quite fit them uh just it, it never really appealed to me yeah it was well. That's the thing is, it's such a spiritual successor to Ultimate Alliance that I think that's maybe the error that like those games were reasonably popular, but they were also out on like every platform, and it does. It did. It's interesting that you like. I found myself accepting its kind of limitations in that you're Iron Man, but you can't go very high because you gotta can't go anywhere. <laughs> that can't jump or whatever. Yeah. Like um, I accepted that because it's like bit more freedom of movement than you'd normally get in a, a game that's fundamentally got kind of rpg group combat you know uh <laughs> dna um but that's that's the kind of apology that only a, a dad can manifest you know what i mean <laughs> i don't expect a child to forgive horizontal iron man like i feel like i feel know. like even the dads one i feel like and unless mm. they are proper gamers like if it feels like a game for proper gamers when the whole point of having the marvel license is that it is supposed to p- appeal to that broader mm. group yeah yeah you know, although it, i would yeah maybe you're right but i would say that the other thing is like obviously it's, it hasn't recouped its cost not because of a retention issue but because of just lack of sales and i do wonder if like maybe i've maybe their projections are too high but like I would still assume that like something like this slapped on the side of a bus would just do well anyway. But you, but as soon as anyone looks into it, it's like, oh, it's an online game, but I don't really have anyone to play with. And like, can I, will the kids better play it? Oh, that sounds like a lot to set up. And oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. I, I wonder if also there may be something to do with like very late. It, it did seem to get squashed in the gears between two console generations as well. Like it, it ran badly on PS4. Um, and I wonder to what extent that might have affected it. Maybe a bit of apathy because of the where it sat in the generation. I don't know. Don't know. I think I think like you forgive it because you know you acknowledged it as a kind of squad based RPG thing. Whereas I think if you were a regular person around your mate's house watching them play it, you would be like, "Why aren't you flying away as Iron Man?" And then think it was a bit dumb when your friend explained. Uh, he can't fly that high you know mm. and when you you would you would want to see the hulk and have them like 
smash through buildings and leap about like a big yeah, angry toddler. Big jump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh no, oh wait, no, I just got shot by some men with guns because I haven't upgraded my chest cavity yet by getting <laughs> lots of spare rib cages. But and then I, th- I think at that point, unless you're really invested in that kind of game, then you just go, oh, okay. Cool. Well, that doesn't like sound just, like it's for me. <laughs> I find myself like, I kind of agree, but also I feel like you're describing that like the middle of like the experiential games awareness bell curve where you can see those problems. Because I think a lot of people would just see that's very flashy and kind of spectacular looking. It does look good. And it's got that Thor in it. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Basically, I just don't, don't feel like I know. I, if you didn't buy Avengers, please write in and tell us what. <laughs> 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 I think I think I think the side of the bus thing gets you the I don't know how many copies it sold. I imagine it's probably sold like five or six million copies or something like that, which is not an insubstantial mm. number, but I think anything above that depends on word of word of mouth and social pressure, basically. I think if right. you, you get larger than that because all of your friends have got it and all of your friends are playing it, or you're going around their house and you're seeing them playing it and it looks good and it looks fun, you know, and that's the point where you're in the mud, middle of that curve and you've actually seen it being played and you're like, oh, it doesn't look that great. Or my friend who bought it doesn't play it anymore and doesn't talk about it that much. And yeah, so there's no, there's no FOMO, basically. Mm. I wonder to what extent um, having Fortnite Marvel stuff happening at the same time completely ate its lunch. Yeah, I did. Yeah, actually, that was almost around. It was, it was at the, the same, same time. time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Like, you know, if that had been used to promote the game, that could have been probably a massive force multiplier. But as it is, I wonder if a lot of kids who are in that kind of age where they might be starting to get interested in games like that were like, well, I can already be Thor in Fortnite and that's where all my friends are. So, yeah. Yeah. Dunno. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a big dunno from us. If you're a team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. With the other, the other um, Square Enix news, wow, we've got, got a lot of mileage out of these three news stories we found um, that weren't about sales. Um, Square Enix has also um, said that they're going to adjust to allowing... Um, developers to or employees to work from home permanently uh post you know even post pandemic it wasn't so much allow as it sounded like you've got to (laughs) we don't let you in anymore (laughs) well i mean this is you know i i think uh i don't want to get too deep into you know 2020 of it all but like i work for a fully remote game studio and uh we were fully remote before this actually i say that we did open an office this year i think we're probably the only company to have opened an office this year um but um it it does work and i think if there's any any even small silver lining to any of this i think it's companies kind of waking up to the fact that allowing people to trusting people to um to uh, manage their relationship with the work at their own time and not be kind of forced into a commute in office can be a good thing I don't. Oh, I don't really want to take a big dump on it, but I think that that changes when it's a big company, mm. because I think the relationship. I think for a company like yours, which is um, is close and small and agile, very much about like like minded people talking. I would a describe lot. I mean, this I know as it's, medium size. So we're getting towards sure. sixty people, so it's not tiny. But it, I think that I think that it's very different to a, it is. a megacorp. 
um, yeah. like Square Enix, where you're very much an employee at these kind of places. Um, and where, you know, there is, I'm sure, you know, I don't know, like, let's not go into libel land, but, but I'm sure <laughs> like all companies, like all game, you know, large game companies, they have, uh, they struggle with uh, big deadlines and doing big things and all the things that come with that. I think that that relationship is very different. Um, and I think that when you have people at home work, you have a very different relationship with your work. You can't quite escape it. Uh, you don't know the expectations of your um, your superiors and those among the team. I think I, it makes me a bit worried. I mean, I, I've worked from home since 2013. I worked for two different studios from home. Uh, they've both been really small. And I've really liked that experience. Um, well, actually, I've, I've liked that experience. There have been periods where I've felt a little bit as if I don't know what everyone's thinking and am I doing enough and am I doing mm. it right and all that stuff. But in general, I love working from home and it's how I'd like to continue to work. But I think that when a large company instigates it, I think that that's a complex thing. I work from home or I worked from home for five years and really enjoyed it, but I wanted to go back to an office. And so I'd started over the last couple of years to work pretty much full time in an office again um, for lots of different reasons. And I'm always skeptical of companies when they start talking about oh people can just move from work to, can just work from home all the time because that's great for some people and just terrible for others for some of the mm. mental health reasons that you've just talked about it's but it's it's just disproportionately bad for younger members of the team for example who are more likely to live in a house share say and if they're working from home they're working from their bedroom their desk is most likely right next to their bed they're not in a house where they can rove around and work and sleep in different rooms those things are side by side so right. my experience is that younger people on the team that i'm on they're they're desperate to get back to the office as soon as they can and if companies are going to permanently close their offices they're going to save a bunch of money Where's that money going to go? Is that just more profit for shareholders or owners of the business? Or does that money then get diverted to provide for people who are now working from home? And like, I felt some effect of this because like we were, me and my partner were both working in offices full time and we were planning on moving house. And so we were going to move to a house that had two bedrooms in it. When the pandemic hit, that plan had to change because we were working from home. We had to move to a house that's got three bedrooms in it. We are consequently paying about 250 to 300 pounds more in rent every month than we would have done. Um, now, obviously, that's a situation caused by the pandemic, which is extraordinary circumstances. But if offices were just to close completely and we were forced into a position where we have to work from home, then we're paying more in rent, basically, to not go insane in that situation. Yeah. What are what are employers doing to help with that sort of stuff? Because yeah. I strongly suspect salaries aren't going to go up to compensate. Yeah, I, I completely cop to, I guess, some some maybe misplaced optimism there that, like, I think managed well, and if you appropriately reward people and reinvest in people, it can be a really freeing thing to, to get rid of the travel requirement, allow people to create the working environments for themselves where they feel comfortable. And I think it encourages, or it, you have to, in order to, manage, in order to make it work, you have to have trust in people. Um, 
Like I, I'm someone who like, I have hated every open plan office I've ever worked in. Like I'm quite a <laughs> private person. I just, I, I can't stand sort of those, you know, we've, we've all worked in them. We've worked in the same one. Like I hate that way of structuring people's working lives and the lack of kind of privacy that it affords people. I'll always prefer to be able to go and sit in my own space to work on something, particularly something creative. And, um, you know, the, the lack of trust that I think is communicated by most office environments is something that I really don't enjoy. However, I also understand the flip side to that, which is the, the social element and the, um, and the, yeah, and the, the, the collective side of it. So I suppose what I'm saying is if done well, I think it can be a really important option to give people to allow them to account for personal comfort. But I do agree that if not, it can also be, uh, yeah, a, a cost cutting measure that doesn't necessarily put reinvest in, uh, the people actually doing the work. Yeah. I think you also think about it or look at it as, uh, like an evolution that is going to stick and you know it's going to be a bit difficult and there are going to be some mistakes made um hopefully we'll learn from them and actually could be the start of a completely new way of actually living which yeah which is actually you know i think that i am positive for you know uh, as a as a project should we talk about the games that we play while we're at home yeah 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 <laughs> we touched on it already but should we yeah. talk about? Should we talk about? <laughs> yeah. Well, what have you been playing, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not Destiny. <laughs> Actually, no. Let's talk. Let's talk about what Graham's been playing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Graham. Go, go ahead. Um. All right. <laughs> Come on, Graham. That's, that's not the noise that my game makes. Um, <laughs> I, also, I, don't, I, I, I haven't played Destiny enough, but I'm assuming from your comments that it's a Destiny noise. <laughs> it's the it's, Destiny wow. The Destiny wow. We, there's time for the Destiny wow. We can't. We can't make. We can't make takes happen just by playing the wow loud enough. Don't, don't make us, Graham. Say the name of your game. Go on, have a go. I've forgotten it. Strange Fan- Brigade. <laughs> Phantom Menace. Phantom Doctrine. Nope, Phant- here. <laughs> you can... Phantom, Phantom Squad. Phantom Brigade. Ah. Oh, so close. It should be called Ghost Squad. That would be a better name. <laughs> um, because, yes, I do keep calling it the wrong thing. There's also Ghost Iron Squad Brigade. is a very good arcade game, I'm afraid. Yeah. Ghost is Recon it? is also a thing. Ghost Troop? I don't know. <laughs> Ghost Gang. Yes. It's quite a similar name to Phantom Doctrine, Strange Brigade, Iron Brigade, and also sometimes Phoenix Point, <laughs> which mm. uh, written down is quite quite dissimilar, but they both got that PH at the beginning, and I have several times called it Phoenix Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's a turn-based mech strategy game, and it's really cool. It's out on early access via the Epic Store at the moment, and it's it's uh, it's a strategy game with very small battles, handful of robots on a little map, um, and it's a simultaneous turn turn-based, kind of like Frozen Synapse. Um, or frozen hmm. cortex, 
in that you can see five seconds into the future. So you know what your enemies are going to do over the next five seconds, and then you are planning around that, and then the turns play out together. So I guess like another another point of reference is Into the Breach, but it's much more loosey-goosey than Into the Breach, because while that's mech robots on a chess-sized grid, um, this is, there's no grid and turns are, it's not just like one action point you're spending, it's whatever you can cram in to that five seconds within certain other limitations. The limitation mainly being the heat of your robots, because I was, I was playing it for a couple of hours and I was enjoying it, but I kept having this problem where during a combat turn, my robots would explode and I would think, oh, I, you know, I, I wish you could replay a turn because I missed some sort of projectile hitting that robot when I was watching the five seconds play out after my move. And I, so I don't know what it was that actually hit them. Turned out their arms and legs were flying off because they were overheating um, because you have this kind of timeline which is the five seconds that's going to happen, and you position moves on that timeline. You say you're going to move here, you're going to wait there, hold up a shield in this direction at this point in the timeline, you're going to shoot in that direction at this point in the timeline. Each of those activities raise your heat level. And so I was just thinking, why wouldn't you just be shooting all the time? It's just like I can fire off like six shots within those five seconds. This is this is game's kind of easy, but that's fine. And then sometimes my robots explode, and I don't know why. Turns out, yeah, they were just overheating. And when I worked that out, everything else in the game kind of clicked into place because instead of it being kind of nice strategy game with a little bit of a gimmick, um, that being able to see five seconds into the future, but having to use your moves efficiently within those five seconds um, feels really satisfying because you're, it's not just about shoot, shoot, shoot all the time. It's about being, keeping within an optimal distance of the enemy robots and tanks that you're fighting against so that your guns are maximally effective when you do decide to raise your heat level by taking shots mm. against them. And you can do that really well because you can see where they're going to move. And like the, the robots, they're about they're about the height of a four-story building. Pretty big. And so it's the buildings are your cover within this within these little scenes. So like mm. um I should I should talk about the there's a meta layer above all this, which is like a dynamic campaign map where um, you've got all these different territories that you are trying to capture back um, from... I thought it was an intro cutscene. I wasn't paying close attention. <laughs> it, there has been some sort of dictatorship has taken over this country and is putting people in prisons and camps and has various um, unkind totalitarian rules like they're kind of they're super vague about it <laughs> they're super vague about it there's like a cutscene at the start where they're like dragging women from cars and separating them from their children for reasons that it's not it doesn't really go into fascism and so in a kind of general them. sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> send in the robots <laughs> yeah um and so like you've got a little troop of robots and you're fighting back to take this terrain and there's like there's um squads that patrol around and you can ambush the squads or you can go after particular villages or forts and if you um, raise the hope level within a certain area it is liberated which basically means you've captured enough forts or whatever else or defeated enough enemy soldiers within that zone that it flips to your side 
and there's all this kind of resource stuff that you're managing. Um, but the robots themselves are about the height of a four-story building, and you're you're hiding behind those buildings, and it becomes about flanking and taking routes around and using the space because those buildings are going to get destroyed. Um, you can take damage if you collide with certain things in the scenery, or you can volunteer to take that damage to smash through some scenery to take a shortcut. And it's about controlling the space basically by being able to predict those next five seconds ahead. Um, and it's it's quite clunky in early access. It's particularly around like it does. It has a tutorial, but it didn't explain this heat mechanic in any way. Or if it did, it did it hmm. so briefly that I did not notice or learn anything from it. I'm pretty sure it just wasn't <laughs> mentioned, which is why it took me another two hours to work out. And there's lots of other like fiddly things with the UI and icons that have no tooltips and it doesn't explain what they do and that sort of stuff. So for example, at the moment, well, I had one mission, for example, which I... Um, the second mission I played, your, 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 your robots get damaged, you need to repair them. It doesn't tell you that you have to repair them. If you come across an encounter, you have the choice of whether to engage and fight in that battle, or you can walk away and maybe come back to it later. And it has like a confirmation thing. Are you sure you want to engage now? That thing does not say at any point. Are you sure you want to engage now? Half of your robots are broken, you moron. Go fix them. Um, <laughs> and so I just, like, the first in my second battle, entered into a fight where my robots were already half destroyed and sort of useless because I didn't know I had to repair them and I didn't know how to repair them in between. Um, there's also, like, I built a new robot at one point because one of mine got destroyed, so I built a new one to replace it using scavenged parts and other resources I'd got from winning previous fights. That's like really cool, being able to customize your robot and choose what arm you want to put on it and what gun and what shield and different liveries and that sort of stuff that you can paint them with. I really, I'm really into that stuff because I like mechs and fiction around mechs. That's cool. Um, but... Uh, it didn't by default select that mech for deployment and I didn't notice that there was a little icon next to that robot on the mission screen that was like unticked basically. So I then just deployed into a battle with only one mech and was hopelessly outnumbered. Um, and all of these were situations where I had to reload a previous save essentially because mm -hmm. I was just fucked otherwise. Um, but these are just early access teething things that I feel like they'll work out over time. Relatively simple things to fix. The actual core of the game is really fun and really satisfying. I've been having a lot of fun with it. How much is the um the time, you know, the timeline uh editing and move planning like um frozen synapse? With frozen synapse you don't you don't actually see what the enemy is going to do, do you? You yeah, just no. you can kind of predict what they're going to do and map it out yourself in, in different ways and so you're constantly trying to um second guess your opponent essentially whether it's a person or the ai whereas then in this you're specifically told what the person what your opponent is going to do and so that completely changes things just because every decision you're making is based on the fact that oh in this five second block a second and a half in that robot over there is going to fire at me so what I'm going to do is I'm going to move over here, then I'm going to bring up my shield, and I'm going to block those shots and take next to no damage from them. And then 
put my shield away, bring out my gun, and fire at this other robot that's now moved in within firing range of me. Mm. Um, so it's all a kind of like dance around those enemy robots. Yeah, it does also great. just have like cool roboty stuff in there. Like you can do melee attacks in which you just punt <laughs> enemy robots. Uh, a ridiculous distance and they smash through buildings in the process and I've just got a weapon which is a sword, a big metal robot sword which uh, I'm looking forward to using to just like slice apart enemy robots I love when robots have swords because it makes no sense whatsoever (laughs) (laughs) But how are you going to inspire hope in the people of this oppressed nation without a certain amount of anime. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've already painted my robots bright pink, of course. So mm-hmm. it's very Gundam the way I'm playing it. It's also like the fiction at this stage is not well developed. Like I have questions about some of these villages that I'm liberating. For example, are there people inside the buildings? Because, <laughs> about that building you just smashed down by punting someone through it yeah yeah like you don't see any civilians at any point other than in the intro cutscene but the intro cutscene does establish that there are civilians and then if you liberate some territory you can have you can choose whether or not you're going to join in with the celebrations and basically have like spend some resources to increase morale and fatigue of your soldiers and have a big party with everyone but you do sort of wonder of like well what people are left because in every battle i've had so far all the robots on both sides have a very cavalier attitude to the buildings <laughs> as you just fire an enormous robot shotgun <laughs> through the side of a building <laughs> and the entire building's facade falls away and then in the next shot the entire building collapses um, and it looks really cool it's really impressive but you do wonder how many how many humans were inside that when i did that <laughs> i mean it's the great lie of it is just that, i mean it's all set at the model village down the road isn't it the robots <laughs> robots are just child-sized <laughs> Well, this is like this is a great. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Gundam, so I got to talk about Gundam now. But there is a there's a Gundam TV series which is sort of like partly Pokemon inspired in that it's set on Earth and it's about children having battles with toy robot versions of the giant robots from the other Gundam series, uh, and they kind of design them themselves and they are little model sized and have those battles, and it's like exactly. A, it's a commentary on the horrors of war because, like, these children are playing with these horrible murder bots that in the other series, teenagers are hacking off their arms so they can control more efficiently and stuff like that. Anyway, <laughs> time to buy a Gundam. <laughs> oh, good. It, it, it's sort of the, from the screenshots that I've seen, it's, it is set in, like, a kind of, kind of model town looking kind of green, surprisingly kind of green fields. Yeah, quite colourful. So it's setting, quite suburban, right? Like it's not... Because I think sometimes when the description makes it sound more like it's kind of industrial sci-fi thing, but it's it's really not. It's it's very much like there are Gundam, but they're in a village from the near future Sims. Yeah, or it, right? kind of has like, it kind of has the vibe of... I think of it as being Midwest America. You know, it's right. it's American farmland 
where there are towns, but in between there's just a lot of empty, flat terrain, essentially. And mm. those are often the kinds of parts of America where you do get military bases and stuff like that. <laughs> so it makes sense that there's this kind of mixture of farmland, military bases, and small, square towns. I thought you were going to say that. It makes sense that that's where you'd get Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got to build them somewhere. <laughs> Next to your nuclear silos. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess that does make a sort of sense. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very different approach to Into the Breach, which has like similar sort of vibes in its grassy terrain and stuff like that, and similar predicting enemy movements and then reacting to it in your turns. But it, that's a game which is entirely about saving the buildings. Like nothing else matters. Your right. own units don't even really matter. You're just trying to protect enough of these um, little skyscrapers on each grid uh, in order to win. Whereas this, it's just, no, just smash the buildings to bits. Whatever's inside it, who cares? <laughs> like chocolate eggs, whacked apart. I was wondering whether um, this, um, the fact that it shows you what's going to happen next, whether, because like mech games are famously very, very complicated, like, you know, weapons have different ranges and mm. they have many of them and, you know, there's heat mechanics and all that kind of thing. Whether you kind of need to be able to see what the next ensuing, you know, the, the next um, five seconds are going to be. You couldn't do uh, Frozen Synapse style um, unknown movement thing simply because, well, anything could bloody happen because mm. these things are so complicated. It does have a, a strange relationship with that stuff, I feel like, because all that complexity is there. Like every piece of equipment you get in terms of your weapons and your robot arms have particular hull strengths have weapon ranges have firing rates have how much temperature they they add when you fire them all this sort of stuff um and it's not a grid system like i said so like you can position yourself anywhere on this battlefield and whether you are 100 percent behind this building or 98 percent behind this building it's all simulating it physically when mm. those uh, enemy projectiles come in towards you and then there is obviously some random chance in terms of like how is the spread of your bullets the bits that you can't control of the game how is that going to go and it does create uh, a strange feeling because it's it's slowing down time into these five mm. second chunks and it's giving me a lot of information and a lot of that information, I, and maybe this will change as I play it more, but I still don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to appraise it. And like initially, it was just sort of overwhelming. Once I worked out the heat mechanic, it sort of switched from being overwhelming to, oh, all this information just doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't make a difference. It's not about those fiddly details. It's about the broad strokes of flanking and shooting big robots in the back. But as soon as... Once I work that out, it then becomes a question of, well, why is all that detail there then? Why is all that information there? Is it just there to serve the, the big robot fantasy for the people that like the big robots? Because, well, on that level, it does actually kind of work. Like, I appreciate that I can uh, customize my mechs and that the menu screen is a uh, my giant mobile base. 
the back of it sliding open and a robot coming out on a stand and with a little scientist man next to it, like a kind of XCOM-ish sort of menu screen mm. approach approach to the UI. I really like all that stuff. And I like that I can dive into the menus and tinker with stuff, um, even if I don't understand it. It's just nice psychologically that it's there. But at the same time, I wonder if it could be a much neater game if you switched it to just being a turn-based grid and simplified all that stuff and gave it loot tiers or whatever where your different equipment was just color coded or something mm. i don't know yeah it does feel like such a central part of that fantasy like battle tech is the same thing right like the gear side of it or the vehicle customization side of it that i think if you swap it out you do end up much closer to something like into the breach where they are more like you know game pieces with with rules attached not that they're not otherwise, but there is something in that kind of, you know, make-believe of pretend real machines, you know, that yeah. is quite important to that fantasy specifically. It's that sort of scale, I think. There's a spectrum there from Into the Breach on one end. Um, f- f- I've forgotten his name. Phantom Brigade on the other <laughs> end. <laughs> I was like, Phant- <laughs> Phantasm? Um and then, like XCOM, I think is the kind of midpoint, mm. basically, where you, you know you're kitting out soldiers with this specific equipment, and that equipment has different strengths and weaknesses, but they've managed to boil that down, um, right, to quite distinct differences. You know, like every you're getting upgrade points, where you're choosing between two quite radically different things, um, and I wonder if I would prefer this if it was if it was doing that. Um, and whether that would fit better with the kinds of battles it seems to be creating, given the timeline thing. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I'm still wondering, basically, if I'm going to play it more. I've played for like four or five hours at this point. I'm wondering if in the next five hours, as it gets a little bit harder, I'm going to be pushed into learning more of that equipment stuff. Because um, yeah. I, can, I can see that it might be satisfying and it might be useful as it as it makes more demands of me. But right, right now, the tech, like sweeping through a timeline is really cool as well because that's the other thing is like you're seeing the the, the five seconds that, that are coming up, but it's like FTL, that's quite a binary thing of this guy's going to shove here and you just get a little icon, whereas in this, you're um, it's like the timeline on a, a piece of video editing software where you can mouse over mm. it and ho- hover at any point through it to watch what happens at different points as, you know, and slide by the microsecond mm. you're actually around, you know, to move when you're going to shoot a little bit further in, you know, by a fraction of a second so that you don't overheat for a moment during that process and that sort of stuff. I do you like the sound of that juggling? Yeah, do you, do you get cool. a post-battle um, kind of replay? No, no, what? unfortunately not. What? In fact, it's it's one of the first things actually that's mentioned on the game's Reddit after it came out of like, hey, this game really needs like an after after battle replay feature. Uh, and again, it's something that I imagine is going to come, isn't it, during the early access or towards yeah. the end of the pro- development process. I've just been sent another vision from the future, probably by that tiramisu from earlier. I think, <laughs> I think, so here's a, just a, I'm just going to make this bet because I'll either be right and it'll sound clever or I'll be wrong and, and someone will tell me. Um, 
in like a year or whenever, this game's going to come out with early access and we're going to talk about it on the pod for like two successive weeks and we'll vaguely remember this conversation and it'll be like different <laughs> and, and like amazing, you know, because it's happened so many times <laughs> where it's like we play something at the beginning of its early access life. It's like, yeah, this is promising. Hades being a recent example of this. Um, it's going to come back and it's going to be great. I'm just going to say that right now. Thanks, Tiramisu from the future. You're just going to get this sort of <laughs> sweet, heady taste. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Mm. The bit of the coffee, bit of the liqueur, you know. But Who can forget the name of this game? Because I just the reason I say that is because I just realized I went through that mental process of this sounds really cool. Oh, but it's early access. I will wait. And then it's like I just sort of flashed forward in my own mind to like episode, let's say three, you know, let's say episode four hundred and six, where we're talking <laughs> about this. And it's come out and it's solved all these problems and now all the, the tech stuff really matters. And oh, do you remember when it was early access? It was all set in one field and you didn't get minus points for destroying buildings because they're full of people you know all that stuff uh do you remember when you couldn't even see all the people that you were killing (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyway just thought yeah not to derail this any further but yeah uh i I mean the more serious point there is it's sort of this these feel like familiar vibes to get from something that's in its earliest incarnation yeah, and I think the term is right. I think there's already enough there that it's clear that they're on to a winner. I think it's a good game. I'm having lots of fun with it. I want to keep playing it. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely one to come back to. I've got a, a related game that I've yeah. been playing. Yeah. Been playing. What it? noise would you uh, associate oh, with that game? Okay, here we go. I've been playing Zachtronics. <laughs> Mobius Front. 83. Mobius Front 83. I think that might be the game I thought Phantom Brigade was. I don't know why. <laughs> Mobius Front. Well, it's two words. Two syllables followed by a single syllable. Mm. But it has got the 83 afterwards, which I keep forgetting about. Also, Brigade isn't one syllable. Oh, true. I'm sorry, I have to say this. I have to say this, unfortunately, because my body demands it. Well, I like it if I didn't play the first 82. <laughs> All right. No. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, I I'd, I'd, uh, intended to play a lot more of it by this point, um, but I was waylaid. And I'm actually, I was thinking about how to talk about it because um, cause there is some tricky stuff about it. Because um, And I'm glad that I don't know the answers because I was worried about being a bit spoilery. Um so this is uh, a new Zachtronics game, and um, Zachtronics uh, do a really wide variety of games these days, um, not just the kind of space chemi kind of um, mechanical games, puzzle games. Um, Eliza came out last year or maybe earlier this year, which is like a visual novel, uh, mm. and this is a turn-based strategy. Um, and um, But because it's Zachtronics, you kind of think that there's going to be something more to it because when you start playing it, it is a completely, um, uh, it's a very simple hex-based uh, turn-based strategy game with a 1980s military theme. And the dialogue uh, and the kind of the storyline to it um, has your uh brigade your strange brigade your phantom <laughs> group uh are kind of all on um maneuvers somewhere in america uh when you are suddenly 
uh, attacked by mysterious forces uh, who have very similar vehicles and troops to yours. Um, and it's all played like uh, the dialogue. Uh, your one of the characters is called Nathan Trucks. And, <laughs> and, like all the characters are like archetypal kind of eighties sort of pulp. Um, military kind of characters like the the menu music sounds like the Terminator music that kind of synthy heavy synthy mm, sort, like of, sort of dark synth heavy. dark synth yeah yeah and so like there's obviously something going on this is electronics like mm. they are very smart and they know exactly what they're doing with their theming you know there's going to be a whole load of shit going on here um uh, and I'm really pleased to say I don't I I'm certain still certain that there is something there's a lot more going on here and I don't know what it is and I'm pleased that I can say that because that means I can talk about it freely without spoiling anything. Um, I, I I will say that one of the reasons like I'm still sure that there's something else going on uh, to it is that there were update notes to it talking and it and throughout the notes it said redacted, <laughs> so like yeah there's something else going on mm. but like. It's a really like it's a really good turn-based strategy in the advanced wars mold, um, in the sense that everything is boiled down to really simple principles. Um, it is the rules are quite different to to advanced wars for a start. It's on a hex bay, um, hex grid, um, and it has line of sight and things. Um, but you have a, a small number of types of units, so you start out with infantry, which can move one um, hex at a time. You have an APC which can carry up to two infantry and it can move like four or something. You have little jeeps that can move further. Um, those are, they've got machine guns on them, uh, which have a range of like three. The troops can only fire one hex in front of them. So like it's very simple units. Everything is, 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 has very strict rules about it. Um, and, uh, the scenarios are, well, I mean, it's not really the scenarios. It's just the rules set up by this simple setup. They're really exacting. Um, uh, the first few levels have you having to um, um, uh, capture points going from left to right across the screen, so across the map. So you've got to capture the leftmost first one, uh, leftmost one first, Um it's only after that one that you can get the next one and so on. And you've got to kind of spread across the map that way. Um, uh, as you go along, I, you constantly feel absolutely overwhelmed uh, by the enemy. Um, and one of the things about the game that I found a little bit frustrating, I'm maybe six or seven missions into it so far. Um, one of the things I found frustrating is that Every first game in it, I've just floundered completely because mm. I don't really know where the enemy are going to be coming from. I don't know the pattern. I don't really know what troops they're going to be having. But also, there are lots of behaviors in the game which are you just have to understand, um, and they're really, really important. So, for instance, you can't move and fire. Um, there actually there are some weapons that you can move and fire. There's a tank, for instance, which can... Uh, and you have a penalty on the damage that it outputs um, if you um, fire, uh, move and fire. Almost everything else is is a single action at a time. Um, there are some troops uh, which are able to shoot um, anti-tank uh, weapons, and they need to be dug in using a move uh, um, in order to do that. Uh, the APC, you can get stuff out of the APC at the start of your turn, 
if you move your APC, you can't then get them out at the end of that. However, if you uh, get stuff out of your APC, then your APC can move. So there's some weird little kind of, so the APC can do two moves in, in the sense that you can get stuff out and move, but you can't move and then get stuff out so like you just have to learn this slightly uh um idiosyncratic rule sets um in order to kind of pass the game but actually it's in those rules that the game exists because the game is an incredibly exacting um uh rock paper scissors style uh military like strategy game it's like it really is very chessy in the sense that you have to have the right unit covering another unit in order Mm. for enemies not to be a threat or to be able to negate the problems that they'll give you so you always need to support your stuff so um for instance uh you need to send out so i'm on levels where i've got helicopters and helicopters have got an enormous move range um, but they're they're quite susceptible. They've also got all this time you need to spend sorting them out. So a helicopter, you've got to move into position. Then you've got to spend a turn landing it. Then you've got to get your stuff out um, on the start of the next turn. Those units then have to spend the next turn digging in in order to, to provide your anti-tank cover, um, which means you need to commit to defending areas uh, really early on. There's stuff about being in f- um, in forests, like a tank can't, um, you can't, a tank which has a range more than one can't uh, attack troops, even if it's in range, if they're in a forest. They have to, the tank has to be right up next to them in order to do so. Um, you need to know all of this stuff, and that's where all of the rules kind of come forward. Um, and it's really, really thrilling once you get that because I felt totally overwhelmed by the odds. But when I've had a coordinated attack going, I've had feelings, like turn-based strategy feelings I've not felt before. You know, mm. like the, the advanced wars feeling is one of um, like uh, a front pushing and pulling as you're kind of sending new stuff to the front all the time. And, you know, eventually you'll make that one break point and then suddenly you're pushing them back and that's a cool feeling but this one this is every time like it's a like are they covered are they in position have i set them up ahead of time have i thought that through beforehand like you know you know turns and turns in advance it's cool as fuck (laughs) it's really really good um but like it is frustrating the fact that you will never get that feeling on the first go you might not get it on your second go you might get it on a subsequent go. And it, yeah, like, uh, but this is also a game where, um, you know, so Zactronics tends to have this incredible attention to detail, like as, as Shenzhen IO um, comes with these supporting um, PDF documents that tell you how to play the game. Um, but also they are really well-observed technical documents and they come as a PDF that you can view, you know, on a computer alongside the game. This one, and I don't know whether they're real or not, comes so far with two supporting PDFs, which are hand actual 1980s military American military handbooks. One of them is 270 pages long, and it tells you how to go in, <laughs> like dig foxholes, how to put, you know, a covering fire, how to deal with radiation burns. Like it's the lot. If you want to survive, I've got a document for you. You know, like. And the other thing is a document about 
uh, use of anti-tank missile, like infantry-borne anti-tank missiles used during the Yom, Kipp- uh, Yom Kippur War. It's like it's flavorful. <laughs> I don't know what it's saying. I think you know. I mean, ultimately, it's saying this is a serious game, and it really is a serious game. Like these are this is serious strategy thinking you have to put into it, and it does feel strangely uh realistic for all of its abstractions because of its multi-theater style kind of um yeah sort of uh uh you know units covering units thing it's an interesting game is what i'm saying it sounds really rad um tell me more about mr trucks <laughs> Mr. Trucks, he 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 doesn't want to take anyone's bullshit. Um, and so when someone's being a bit flippant about this force that's come in, he's saying we're going to go in and kill them. That's what Nathan Trucks is. That's what you can expect from Nathan Trucks. <laughs> Problem solving. Uh, also, it has um, so like the other the other electronics uh, thing is what's the mini game what's the 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 Mm. really really good mini game and this one it's cribbage solitaire Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because because we're in the 80s and we're playing with with nathan trucks uh do you know cribbage either of you uh no i want to say maybe i recognize if you describe it's it's a it's a it's a really good game (laughs) uh cribbage uh you have um you as a deck of an all deck of cards they are dealt into four decks. Um, uh, you can see all of the cards, but you can only pick up from the top. Um, the object is to pick up cards, um, and the, the 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 stack that you pick up uh, is scored. Uh, if you if the total uh, cards that you picked up totals. 15 or 31 you get two points if you pick up four queens that's loads and loads of points if you get a run uh that's another thing that's lots of points like basically you're trying to find good patterns in the cards that you pick up um and uh, scoring points off it and it is it's it's very simple um it's incredibly complicated to you know it's a lot to get your head around it's it's really good and like as ever it's beautifully visually designed and presented uh and it's a game that i have not played before and um it's in this game as well like i (laughs) where is is the cribbage placed in this simulation of 80s on the main in the main menu uh as you're selecting your your um the next mission there is a pile of cards uh sort of drawn at the bottom of the screen and that's where they are next to the 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 hot point where you'll open up your pdfs of the supporting documents (laughs) it's bananas it is it is brilliantly bananas and i cannot wait to find out what happened like what the fuck is going on what it's real so good but what's it saying and where are we and why i hope you get your answers alex i do too i i do i it's so demanding though that i I, it's one of those strategy games where at the start I used to sort of think, I don't think I can take this. I, mm. I just don't think I can do this. But then like two turns later, you're going, I have got so much skin in this game. <laughs> yeah. Put yourself together. You're Nathan Trucks. <laughs> Actually, I will, I will describe um, a game that I played yesterday really quickly um, where I felt like this was the third go I'd had uh, on, on this new level 
this one really am completely overwhelmed. I just, you know, I just felt that it was totally impossible. So many tank enemy tanks. I just they uh, and in the first two turns they wiped out the two um, anti tanks, uh, anti tank infantry units that I'd set up. Um, and I thought, oh, this is just no point going on. But I thought, well, I'll just learn. I'll learn a bit more about it. I'll, I'll persevere. The object of this level is to destroy these anti-air uh, rocket installations, which are on the very, very far, um, east, uh, it's like southeastern corner of the map. And I started way over to the west. Uh, so there's a lot of ground to cover. But I found myself having killed enough stuff that I'd basically busted a hole through their um their their kind of their their defenses um and i realized i had one truck uh not nathan truck but a real truck um um uh, with two infantry units left and i was able to drive it through they had loads of infantry and they'd all um headed up towards where all my rest of my remaining forces were and so began this race as I dec- like I knew that the tank was going to get blown up, so I, uh, the, the truck was going to get blown up. So I took the, t- the infantry out, got them into woodland, and I marched them hex by turn by hex by turn over to the southeastern corner. And they had, and as soon as they got out of the tank, uh, out of the truck, sorry, the um, the entire all of the the infantry, the enemy infantry, just turned from having gone northwest southwest to, to in pursuit and they were on my tail and they were arranged uh, arranged in such a way that they 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 were going to catch up with me and i thought but i thought i can get there and i think i've got enough hell points that i can destroy the um the sam sites um and so and i got to the sam sites and i took the first shots on the first sam and then in the enemy turn this tank, which I didn't know existed, came out of the fog of war from the north, this out of this clearing, um, and and I knew it was all going to be over. And but up until that point, this race across the map with like <laughs> going one hex at a time was fucking great. <laughs> I'm sad you didn't get it though. <laughs> I thought that story was going to end differently for a moment. It there. did not. It didn't end well. <laughs> But the ta- like the fact that I didn't know what the tank was there, you know, I, if mm. I had a if I had a, um, a heli left, I would have to see it. Like, there's so many things to think about. Mm. Anyway, Moebius Front eighty three. Nice. It's a good game. Is that uh, you may have said already? Is that out out or is it early access? As out out. I don't think yeah. Zactronics do. Um, no, I they don't, don't think they do. They but I wasn't around. sure. Yeah. yeah. No. They, no. It's um. It's it's out out. Nice. Maybe we can talk about it right now and have. Well, Chris. Yeah. What have you been playing? I have been I've been playing, and I don't know I don't know if we preempted this too much. Um I've been playing Destiny I've been a bit is it Destiny 2 Beyond Light <laughs> is what it's called. So yeah, Destiny just had its big expansion of the year. Um and I appreciate that, like, I think a subject like this is always going to be of kind of, like, um, mixed interest because people who play Destiny will obviously have their opinions because they've all been playing it for two weeks at this point. People who don't play Destiny might not be that interested to hear about an expansion for an MMO they don't play. So I'll try and stick to the stuff that I think is of, of broader kind of interest generally. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I think I have to confess 
you know range of games played has gone down the last couple of weeks uh, as 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 work stuff has amped up but destiny remains a big constant for me to the point where i checked steam before recording this and i think i've played 47 hours of destiny since the expansion came out so <laughs> i feel qualified to talk about it um and um uh, and, and one thing I would say is that I am really, really enjoying that time. This feels like a reset. And I think as we mentioned earlier in the year, this is the point where as part of, I think, what was the original plan, Destiny 3 would have come out. And they made the decision that they weren't going to do that. They were going to stick with updating Destiny 2, which I think is probably the right decision. Um, but it's nonetheless about the time where you'd expect a reset. And this does feel like that a little bit. It feels like a more substantial change to the status quo of the game than last year's expansion did, despite being approximately the same length as at least as terms of the campaigns um but it's a much better campaign um some you know good bungee moments in it by which i mean a moment where you turn around a corner and there's a space thing and then some drop ships come in but like they've been pulling that trick for, on me for close to 20 years and i will not get tired of it um but also like i think they've they've gotten very comfortable with what story they're telling and how they're telling it now and I think it's been quite a long journey for Destiny to get there. Like in fits and starts, where it started very rough, as people will remember, and quite bare from a storytelling, but with great world design. There's something like, I think if you're going to get it one way around, it's better to have an underwritten game with art and design that suggests depth than it is to have a overwritten game with shit art, basically. Um, and so of all the ways, not I mean, obviously, ideally, do the best of both worlds, but they're getting there. And then starting the early years of Destiny, they started to have some really great science fiction writing tucked away, but it was tucked away and started to find ways to bring that to the surface. And then Destiny 2 came along and it did a decent job of trying to bring some of the story elements forward and tell a more character-driven story. But some, so I think I would argue that it went too far in that direction and it ended up... Um, there's, there's a tone that is now really glaringly out of place if you play some of the older content that's still present in the game where it's just bants a clock 100% of the time. They leaned really hard into the tone and style of writing of like an Avengers movie, for example. It's all wisecracks all day. And like there's some decent jokes, but there's some awful jokes. And I think I personally, I, I know that there's a reason for doing it that way. And I think it does open up the world to people. At the same time, I think something was lost of the kind of quiet dignity of the original space nonsense. Yeah. Um, and so this expansion rolls around. And uh, it is, I think, notable for one thing of being like, they've really started just answering questions in ways that are satisfying. And that's a really nice thing to get after a long period of time with this series. Like I've been playing Destiny since day one of the first game and been invested in it for a long time because it really doesn't take very much to get you, get me to invest in anything, really. It's one of my things. <laughs> you show me a spaceship, I'm already on board. Um, and so, like, um, I'm having the the kind of, I think, the experience that I wish other people could have or, you know, I would like to transmit to someone else, but it's hard to do, of having characters and storylines and themes that I have been pondering and engaged in for more than a half a decade now pay off in interesting ways. And that's always going to be really satisfying. Um particularly even directly kind of addresses one of the most infamous lines of dialogue in the first game when a character uh kind of teleporting robot woman says i don't have time to explain why i don't have time to explain which was taken after the fact is kind of emblematic of destiny one's entire attitude to storytelling and its failings <laughs> in that regard and and i agree that line is ridiculous however 
they that character is back in a big way in the expansion and you know there have been fan theories for years about who she is for example and she just tells you <laughs> she just confirms one of those theories and that's great um but Looking back on it now, she really didn't have time to explain why she didn't have time to explain. The answer to that is actually really complicated. So I'm kind of glad she didn't interrupt the robot shooting five years ago to explain. Not that any of the writers working on it at the time knew what the answer was, but they have backfilled in, I think, a really good way. And so that's been really satisfying. And I think, um, is it a reason to go back to the game if you dropped off? Probably not. But there is a really particular satisfaction, I think, to having a story unfolded in front of you slowly in that way and to have your investment in a universe pay off and i think that's just one of the kind of maybe under appreciated pleasures of this kind of long-running game is i mean i think you know final fantasy 14 players very much have this as well in their own ways and wow players you know for as much as you talk about kind of retention loops and and the mechanics that support that i do think investment in the world is a really rewarding part of this and i'm really glad that they're kind of um going deep on it now and actually moving story forward and 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 answering questions um campaign itself is cool and uh, which is maybe a, it's very very cold in fact um, um but the main thing it does is is sort of unlock a big suite of new powers and kind of re un, rebalance the kind of patterns and the kind of loops of the game and it doesn't really start until the initial campaign is over which is maybe you know six-ish hours i would guess of sort of yeah it's quite a lot isn't it yeah and then it starts basically um and then you start to get all of the post kind of campaign progression stuff and new things to do um in addition to the current seasonal stuff uh which is running alongside it and then you get into the kind of the really comfortable rhythm of destiny for me which is where i've been really happy to be which is having a manageable to-do list of things all of which are going to involve engaging with basically just great combat sandbox in some way and then figuring out the optimal kind of way to progress through that to-do list in terms of different kinds of gear to use and different activities to do and i really do enjoy that like it's 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 the kind of cookie clicker aspect of it but it's very satisfying and i think at the moment they've balanced that set really well and and the 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 thing the first thing here that's interesting is as I think, as we said before in the podcast, with this expansion, they're also they've also retired a huge amount of the game. Um, there are technical reasons for that. The game client was getting far too big; it was taking too long to update. Um, and they knew from their stats that you know players were really only occupying themselves with like maybe like fifteen percent of the content available. Um, and so, as of the release of this expansion. Um, a whole lot of Destiny 2 has been completely removed from the game, gone to the vault. Um, something, uh, as zone has come back from Destiny 1 and there's a new planet, but otherwise the game is a lot smaller, like a lot smaller. It's also lost all of the um, various seasonal updates and new mechanics and progression systems and quests and all of the stuff that was added basically in the first two years. Um, and that's a big deal because it means there's a lot less content. There's a there's a new new player experience, but I think that's probably ultimately for the best. There's part of me that when I first started playing it, I did find myself suddenly verklempt for areas that I used to go to because, like, part of an MMO is going back to an area that might not be relevant to you from a progression point of view, but just going like, I remember this. I remember wandering around here and enjoying the nostalgia. Not being able to do that hurts a bit, but. Um, it's 
like I think it's a trade-off worth making, particularly because I know for a fact from friends who've got back into the game in the last six months that it was in a really overwhelming place with the amount of stuff to do, and they've reined that in. The other thing they've done, I think, much less successfully. I was just going to—I was just going to say, Chris. Yeah, like the the login times and the load times are like they're half the time. So much faster, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like and it's, I think, it's half the size on disk as well. Like there are these practical direct kind of benefits from it, it, it appears. Yeah, right. They just sort of shaved half the game off basically. I mean they literally lost half the content, but you know. And that means there's some interesting, some weird things, like the base campaign that launched with Destiny 2, which was a pretty substantial shooter campaign in its own right, just can't be played. It just mm. doesn't exist. You cannot play it now. And um that's not true for anything from Destiny One. Like you can if you have a console, you can install Destiny 1 and play any part of it. Um, if you want to play what's called the Red War, that, that first launch campaign for Destiny 2, nope, you can't. You can watch a YouTube video, that's it. Um, and that's weird. That That's not something that happens very often, that a game mm. from 2017 vanishes, basically, in that way. Um, and the same is true for the campaigns for the first two expansions as well. Um, but the other thing they've done is um, introduce what they're calling gear sunsetting which basically means that in destiny you have gear gear has power level your overall level is defined as the aggregate of your the average of your power levels individual power levels for the gear you're holding previously you could keep upgrading the power level of a piece of of an item forever which meant that if a gun was good three years ago or if a patch makes it good now you can just level it up and start using it again they've introduced this cap which means that guns will basically eventually get to a point where they can't be upgraded any further, which means they kind of drop out of usability from certain activities. And this is a way to keep things balanced so that in a loop game, you know, ostensibly loot, the loot pool refreshes itself over time rather than having to get broader and broader and broader. And that usually means that you have to make new things much more powerful than the old things for people to want to look at them. And this has been interesting because if I look at my day-to-day experience of the game over the last two weeks, this is a net positive. It's, um, it feels a lot better. Like PVP feels better. I'm using more interesting weapons. I'm getting out of the same old loops. It's nice to shake things up, etc. Um, there are some really glaring errors they've made. I think they were too aggressive with this. And in doing so, they have invalidated. They've actually made all of the loot from the two previous expansions, which are t- still premium paid expansions. They've made all of the drops from those two expansions completely irrelevant, which is a bit of a mistake. Because that's, mm. you know, you could buy the previous expansion, play it, and realize you literally cannot use the gear that it drops. That that stuff needs adjusting. But what I thought was interesting about this, and maybe, you know, can prompt a broader chat, is they asked the players, you know, they said, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of sides to this and can't possibly articulate all of it. But the point, the basic level of it is there's an understanding that something needed to be done to rein in kind of, you know, the breadth of the loot pool to make loot interesting again. And that would probably have to mean making previously good things uh, less good or letting them kind of taking them out of circulation. The sort of thing that would happen naturally if there'd been a whole game shift like there was from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2. Um, so they had this system. They started publicizing it, I think, in March or April. Yeah, The community had arguments about it then. Um, discussion was had. The community went through the entire loop of, yeah, this is probably the right thing for the game kind of stings to lose things we've worked for, but so it goes. And then, and the same was true as also of the, the, the content that was going away. And then day one of the expansion rolls around. And the thing that they said would happen six months ago happens and everyone loses their mind anyway. 
because yeah. the, the universal thing about this, I think, and the very human thing about this is it's one thing to say, yeah, you should take away some of my stuff for my own good, really, because I'm bored and I haven't had something to collect for a long time and I want the gold to chase. So yeah, remove my really overpowered weapons, please, so I can chase them again. And then the next day to go, where the fuck did my guns go? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I wonder if there's basically no good way of, of, of achieving. I think they did make mistakes with the implementation, but sometimes I think those mistakes basically just add fuel to the fire of the whole system as a mistake. And I, to I don't think that that's they... necessarily the case. Go on, sorry. Yeah, it seemed to me that the, that like the day one problem, like the, the, the real issue was that the, the, a lot of the drops were these trash weapons that you couldn't really invest yourself in. There was no point collecting them and their old stuff. Like mm-hmm. the amount, the number of new things that just seemed to be in Beyond Light were very, very, yeah. was, was quite small. However, um, as the new season has kicked in and as things like the um, the new raid has opened up, actually the loot pool has increased. I think I'm right in saying that it's 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 increased in size. They also, yeah, it has. It's increased quite a bit. And they also, um, in a patch last week, reinserted a bunch of stuff to, to, into the loot pool to kind of expand it further. Right. Um, stuff from previous seasons. So th- I think they acknowledged the error in some ways. I think they were a bit too aggressive um, in the kind of clean slate approach. But it was just interesting to me that, like, that, um, I think with something like this, when you're kind of having to give, take something away from a player base, almost every detail of that implementation matters. And what was interesting, I think, is how that ran up against exactly what you've mentioned, which is the plan was always for this sort of expansion to unfold itself over the course of a couple of weeks. Yeah, I was thinking, just chill out. Everybody chill out. Like right. you do remember, like like Forsaken was a bit like this as well. Like this, you know, actually probably saying it wrong. As soon as they went into the season mode, it became like Shadow a Keep drop is a bit over like time. This. Forsaken, Keep, that's the Forsaken one. Yes. wasn't because the other thing here is, you know, the game's also managing this weird transition from a, a massive AAA game supported by Activision to being effectively a very big indie game in a weird yeah. way because Bungie's yeah. on their own now. And, you know, Forsaken, for example, was produced with the support of, I think, one or two other studios, right. as were the other kind of Activision era Destiny things. And it's just kind of an interesting thing to like, because player expectations are what they are. And like, if there's a rule, it's like you cannot ask players to be patient or to like understand why things have to be a certain way. And it was sort of watching, you know, I, I felt for them a bit watching the subreddit completely melt down. And like, if you go there now, three weeks yeah. two and a half weeks later it's chill people yeah. are people come down people are enjoying the new stuff and it's all kind of and they must have known that the there was a plan there was something in the pipe they did make some fairly dramatic adjustments on in the last couple of weeks i think in in response to the most uh fervent criticism but it's did you did you read the weather. um the the week note uh that came out last mm. week yes um, it was very long, um, and it, in the last few paragraphs, it, it said, "This is this one has been. I'll be honest. This is one has been really hard to write." But I did wonder how much of this did you write beforehand, because you mm. knew a lot of this. You know, players being what they so, are. Yeah, I, I. So I think this is the thing I find really fascinating about Bungie in this game is I think I think there are areas where they have a confident idea of what's right and they go ahead with it and then they make tweaks and adjustments in response to feedback. But I, there is a, I don't know what you would call it. I, the, the word I want to reach for is arrogant, but there's a, 
there's a there's a very single-minded streak in Destiny's design sometimes where you can feel out the areas which are kind of squashy, where the players get a say. We often do with the combat sandbox where it's like, you know, the new power set is all about freezing. Um, players didn't like being frozen for four seconds in Crucible, so they reduce it to a second and a half, which sounds significant, but it's actually not for reasons I could ramble about if you ask me about it, Alex, but like it's, you know, um, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal on paper that makes almost no difference <laughs> in some ways in the game. And um, and um, and then there are areas where I think they dig their heels in quite hard and where they make decisions that I think are actually sometimes quite unfriendly um, out of, I think, some sort of more ideological beliefs and what kinds of games, what the game, the kind of game this is. And I think that particularly um, pertains to FOMO, actually. I think I may have said this before, but I think the only thing I really disagree with in their current strategy, and the other thing I would talk about, is the role, what is good and what is bad FOMO when it comes to creating an experience that is both a multiplayer experience, but also kind of like a single player pursuit in an honest way um, for a lot of players. And there's something that's happened over the weekend that I think is a really interesting negotiation of this. Um, so over the weekend, the new raid came out. Raids, when Destiny first got them, were like almost like the secret heart of the game. And then that design methodology ended up kind of expanding out to encompass everything else. But crucially in Destiny 1, raids were kind of an aside. They weren't put on the critical path. They had a lot of kind of like interesting narrative implications for people who wanted to dig for them, but they were explicitly the preserve of the most invested players, both from a mechanical point of view and from a kind of narrative interest point of view. Um, more recently, but specifically, particularly in this expansion, the raid is very much on the critical path of the story. And uh, it, in fact, kind of, in a way, acts as the real finale. Um, however, they also um, acknowledge that, you know, most players aren't going to be able to do it straight away. These are very hard and they require a coordinated team of six people. So it's tough to arrange that. And they also arrange this, like, uh, weekend-spanning esports-style world-first attempt. When the raid launches, it relaunches in, like, a competition rule set where, you know, all your favorite streamers are online kind of like racing to be the first in the world to beat it. And there are prizes involved and it's this big competition. And, um, and then when it was beaten the first time, the whole world state moves forward. The, the first completion of the raid changes the, the, the world and uh, moves the story forward. And this is a really weird thing because as far as the game is concerned, Having played since Destiny 1, there are even dialogue lines to acknowledge this. I'm the big hero of everything in Destiny. I, me, Chris, and you, Alex, are also this in your own pocket dimension. But you know what I mean? Like, I did everything important ever, except when I logged on on Sunday morning and I got a cutscene saying, some other people have done something and now the world's moved forward. I'm just going to spoil that for you. Like, I previously used to play the raids and going blind and I want the reveals to be reveals. I kind of have, I, I haven't even looked at videos of the raid and I know what is revealed in it and what happens in it because the game tells me. And I think this is a really weird thing of they want those moments that the community then owns of like the classic example of this in WoW is the Gates of Arm Garage where a very small number of people get to do something, get to pull a big lever on behalf of the rest of the player base and that becomes this kind of collective memory. But personally, I kind of think that sucks. <laughs> And I think players should be, personally, I think players should always be given the freedom to put themselves at the center of the the narrative and for it to be their story if they wish to do so. 
But what I find myself thinking about is I think a changing relationship, this is the thing that brings it beyond destiny, between how how maybe I expect to consume a game, particularly a game like Destiny, which had this mixed relationship, but whether it's about me or whether it's about the community, um, where like I want to do that. When I go and do the raid with my friends or when you join us, Alex, or whatever, I want to feel like I'm the one who pulled that lever. Um, versus I think a more modern acknowledgement that most games are experienced vicariously. And for the players, for the people who happily stopped playing Destiny on Saturday night to watch streamers beat the raid instead, logging back in to find that acknowledged in the game would be satisfying. And that sort of aspirational or vicarious play role that influencers play, having a kind of direct say in the game is kind of off-putting to me and makes me feel like, you know, I've missed my chance to be the hero of the story or whatever. But actually is probably a fairly smart acknowledgement of how a younger audience is actually expecting to consume a lot of this stuff and therefore quite a clever reuse of what would otherwise be quite niche content yeah i mean don't forget like that when when vault of glass that first um destiny one raid came out 2013 2014 2014 like you know that's that's you know streaming is now just the norm so as you say you know that it's that was of an old world and yeah i think we are in a new one i mean i I like the fact that that it's made new things happen and Mm. i like the feeling that it's the as a a result of what players have done i think that it it gives it a sense of reactivity for me you know that, that it's sort of that it's not just somebody um you know that the date has come around and it's happened which is actually actually really what's happened but that but, yeah. but the fact that the players did it then it's just funny because like yeah because i think that 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 um uh dynamic was probably more punchy when it was um oh what was the one last where... wish was the first one that they did this with oh yeah that was when um yeah the whole of the, that that whole zone changed didn't it um at yeah. that point yeah which was much more evident actually Yes, I think, I think, I think for me, like in the, in the subsequent couple of days and, you know, enjoying the new stuff they've added and all the rest of it, I kind of come around to it. However, I really can't deny how much I hated having to watch a cutscene that spoiled the raid to get yeah. into the game after it had been solved by somebody else. Like, yeah, there that's is no the, need that's, for a cutscene. That's, that's the, well, this is the tension between wanting the world to move forward when any player does something versus letting leaving it in the hands of individual players to say when they want that stuff that like, cause I felt I was bummed out about it and it made me like, I went through like the, the you know, I went through the, the FOMO stuff of thinking, man, should I, because I know this bums me out. Should I plan that next time this rolls around, I will make sure that I'm one of the people who's ready with a raid team when the raid comes out. Because the reason I'm not like that is because I play Destiny with my friends and my friends progress towards the you know power requirements at different rates. And it's probably going to be January, I reckon, before our group, Alex, is kind of all in a position to do the raid. Yeah. 
And so, and I don't like, and that's an uncomfortable feeling, the uncomfortable feeling of like, do I need different friends in order to not feel bad? <laughs> don't you dare, Chris. No, but like, exactly, <laughs> right? Like we made this commitment that we were all going to go do the raid together, but we also made the commitment that we're all chill about it and we're not going to kind of, you know, there's not, not going to be any expectation that people grind or, or kind of overinvest more than they want to in the game in order to get to that position. What is the but light the, level you need? Twelve thirty. Oh, okay. Um, and so it's probably like a 10, 20 hour commitment, but like, but that's a tricky balance to strike. And I think putting that FOMO in people's way, I don't know. It just, it's, there's, there are bad feelings lurking in the floorboards that they peel up when they do this stuff. And I think, <laughs> I think whenever you're in that territory of like, um, of, of, of FOMO, basically you, it, it, it pays to be mindful of what you're exposing people to. However, I'm realize I'm particularly sensitive to this. But those exact kinds of, I would call them like social incentives or social ladders where players can feel either attached to or be uh, the influencers uniquely capable of, of experiencing this stuff first, where they might be not rooting for themselves to get to play it, but for their favorite influencer to be the one who beats it first. That's a side of it that's completely irrelevant to me, but I have to acknowledge as like a fairly important dynamic in the design of this kind of game. Yeah. And it's interesting where it fights, I think, my personal enjoyment of it. That said, I'm really enjoying the new stuff. And I've kind of now, I think, made my peace with the fact that, yeah, I had some stuff in the raid spoiled, but I'll still do it eventually and I'll probably have fun with it. Yeah. But yeah, it's really interesting. I appreciate I've I've just rambled on a fair old while about Beyond Light and I hope that's sort of broad enough to be of interest. But Alex, have you been finding it? Because I know that you had you bounced off it initially. No, I wasn't really bounced off. I mean, it, it, I had a few little niggly bits and pieces. Um, I think that the stasis powers are—they're cool to use, but there are some bosses that use them in the campaign, and I was grumbling to to you, mm-hmm. Chris, about about the feeling it has of being frozen, like because the stasis powers literally freeze you um, if you've been caught in a in one of the particular powers for long enough i mean there are lots of ways you can mitigate it or escape from it and that kind of thing but um i i was not enjoying getting caught by a power which stopped me from being able to do stuff um and and you know and i've kind of gotten used to it now i know what to look for there's a, there was a learning process there i think the fact that it, it is it has become that you know as well as the um the 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 time thing actually is that the the reduction of time that frozen is only for pvp it's only for pvp yeah but i think that in both pve and pvp you don't get as damaged by bursting out of the frozen state no they they did yeah they did enough that and that really helps because it means you actually have an incentive to try to break free which you do by learning a particular kind of press and then hold button kind of um routine yeah it's your which is not particularly well kind of taught um mm. so you know i that was the one thing really i've been i've been really enjoying i think i think that um, europa the new um location is fucking lovely really loads of places to explore huge mm. grandiose frozen environments i really i really like the um the weather system in it i think mm. it's fucking great so the weather system 
will um, uh, uh, you'll go from brilliant sunshine to a an ice storm in the space of a few minutes, and the ice storm you cannot see very far at all, and it take means that the environments take a completely different character. Um, the enemies have glowing eyes; you can see their eyes glowing in the distance, which is really nice. Like it, it quite apart from the practical uh, element of being able to see the thing that you're meant to be shooting. It's just also very visually cool. I think that that stuff is just marvelous. Yeah, yeah, it really is nice. I, I appreciate that. I can't wait into the the big, big macro stuff. But yeah, like they they are so good at building worlds that remain kind of interesting to explore. Like they open up a poking around Braytech yeah. Industries, like finding these piles of dead dead robots. Like, you know, I'm not that into the story, but even I was going, huh, robots. <laughs> well, that's the emotion and, you Vex. and that is yeah. a that is a that is an emotion yeah oh robots <laughs> yeah um yeah some of the new areas they've had like in just since the raid launch has been have been really really lovely as well they're, they're very good at um that very specific thing and the new season stuff is fun as well yeah um, yeah the hunting thing is cool yeah um, yeah um, like there's, it feels that there's shitloads to do. Actually, mm. you know, for all that that's been taken out, I have not wanted for a moment. I haven't, you know, I I enjoy playing Gambit, and there are lots of reasons in my in my um, to do list to to play Gambit. I haven't had, a, I haven't put any time into it at all. As like as, as my secondary pursuit, I've just been rushing through the campaign. It's felt like rushing through the campaign, but I know that I, you know, I'm way slower than everybody else in our group. Have you finished the campaign? Yep, yep, I cool. finished yeah. all weekend. Because there's a, weekend. yeah, a lot of, lot to do after that, but yeah. Yeah, like if, I would say. Like yeah, the, the, the new, um, the, 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 the gun that you get at the end of it, it, actually, I don't know whether this is a special edition version, but anyway, there's a, uh, a special uh, pulse rifle called No Time to Explain, which I really like as well. Yeah, that's got a great, so the, 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 the perk in dry mechanical terms is just that after you hit a number, a certain number of like headshots with it, um, it starts to sort of have like an auto fire feature that f adds to its capacity. But the way this is themed is that after <laughs> it shoots, it hits a certain number of things, uh, a time portal opens up where another version of you shoots through a little hole <laughs> into <laughs> at things for you. So there are two of you, one from a parallel universe where apparently you're left-handed is, is basically the, the best I could explain it. Um, <laughs> like mirror you, starts shooting things for you. And it does feel great. My favorite kill in PvP was killing, getting completely frozen by a supering warlock. So basically an ice wizard froze me and the little time portal on my gun killed him before he could kill oh, me. While you were frozen. <laughs> oh, nice. I was completely frozen. And I, I clipped that shit. Mum got that camera. Uh, that felt <laughs> good. Um, but yeah, um, it's, yeah, I love that nonsense. It's, it's extremely, extremely good. Yeah. I, you know, I sort of, I, I, without trying to drag the, the conversation back in time, um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't think you could do too many more things with the Destiny guns. <laughs> you right. know, like they've done all the things. They've, they've, the sliders have been slid, you know, between yep. rate of fire and blah, whatever. But yeah, this was a nice little thing to explore. <laughs> um, also, I think I think we should close this off by by explaining where this fits in the kind of destiny narrative um, uh, system. Um, in that, while I think they're actually doing some meaningfully new things and they're storytelling in new ways and they're telling new stories, um, I would say that this story is so 
specifically and hilariously granddad still got it that it's actually just li- that is literally the case in the story but one of the things he has done is left a time machine on so um so uh in, in a similar manner to when we were discussing uh season of the worthy which i think is the last time we or was it season of the worthy it was season of dawn was the last time we talked about alex i think it was dawn that you, yeah, you you did the full the full record full system right well this and so the, the core story is very much um i've left the time machine on granddad still got it to an extent however the um you might be noticing the absence of one of destiny's core narrative pillars yeah, um, I but i can say that luckily for us the um the plot of the season which is a separate story that runs alongside is actually and literally a skeleton's auntie knows what you did and has come to tell your dad about it um and so all the all the all the beats have been hit with even some new some new narrative material um uh sprinkled in but that stuff is just entirely the plot of frozen so it's fine <laughs> Good. Oh, I just. <laughs> Thanks. What a good, what a good wow. <laughs> Shall we do questions from questions, or would you like to talk about destiny for some longer? Oh, oh. you spoil us. <laughs> oh, let's. Oh, go on then, Alex. Play the womp. Let's do it. Let's talk about it for another hour. Don't okay. actually do that. Don't actually. Do oh, he's already. Oh, god. <laughs> If two consenting adults can't womp on about destiny once or twice, three times, four, five times a year, when can they do it? <laughs> uh, the answer is they just probably maybe maybe next next time. Um, what we're talking about, what we're talking about, is questions from questions, which we will do now. However, we're only going to do one question from questions um, because we won't we womped on about destiny for quite as long <laughs> we, we as we on. did um so thank you to everyone who sent in a question we're going to do yeah just the one this week just for the sake of time but also partly because some of the questions are about very specific games that would be best answered when very specific people are here um because otherwise it's takes from people who haven't played them <laughs> Idiot which is takes. not what you want yeah <laughs> and and i feel like we can do one better than that dumb takes um not idiot takes but the question that we are going to answer comes from Fang, who writes, Hi all. I recently happened on the following video about a particular tactic in Age of Empires 2 multiplayer. And they've sent us a, a, a YouTube video, which we'll always put in the show notes. Um, but it asks and answers a, a question that I think genuinely is worth considering, um, even if it's not the question that, that uh, Fang is going to go on to ask, which is about um, when one should delete one's own manganel. And um, I do often wonder that. Right. I mean, we know we've all been in lockdown for a long time now. And when you're alone at home a lot and you don't know how to entertain yourself, the question comes up, how much is it appropriate for someone to delete one's own manganel? Uh, A manganel, if you're not aware, is a catapult, pretty much. I'm not (laughs) sure. Is it a trebuchet or a I assume it's different. I, I understand the difference between mangan- mangonels and trebuchets in the same way that I can't under- can't really think of the difference between like E17 and Westlife. <laughs> it's <like> blue. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're all of an era and like, I mean, it's a catapult at the end of the day. Anyway, 
Had you heard of a mangonel before you looked at the the 32 pixel tall sprite of it and went, oh, it looks a bit like a catapult? (laughs) No. (laughs) I I definitely heard of, I had heard of them, but that's because I spent a certain amount of my youth in sort of medievally role-playing. You belong to the mangonel society. Right. Well, no, you just, every now and then you're at a role-playing session online in Dark Age of Camelot and someone's passing around a mangonel, you know? And that's when you learn to first delete your own. But anyway, there is a specific reason for this, and it's interesting game designy. So, in Age of Empires 2, there are mangonels, the catapults, basically. But also in Age of Empires, and, and actually, in an, in an ordinary contest of mangonel puissance, um, a mangonel will one shot another mangonel. Uh, a, mang- a mangonel spread projectile. I think they might be the shotguns of catapults. Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, the uh, the mangonel's payload is sufficient to destroy another mangonel Um, it's a zero sum mangonel exchange Um, however there's another rule in Age of Empires 2 with his weird little janky polygonal 45 degree hills which is that any unit firing downhill gets 25% damage buff and any unit firing uphill gets a loses 25% of its damage, 25% damage decrease. Um, what this means is on flat ground, a mangonel will destroy another mangonel in one hit. When they're firing downhill, they'll definitely do it in one hit. But when they're firing uphill, they will just, just fail uh, to destroy the mangonel. And the video, uh, which I should credit, is by T. West. Um, uh, it shows an instance of a, a fight from, I think, uh, like an esports game where a... Um, hilltop mangonel is firing at a castle and then uh a uh, a defending mangonel spawns from the castle um and fires uphill at the hilltop mangonel which should be taking 25 percent reduced damage and then both mangonels die however if you watch it very closely the mangonel that fires from the ground actually dis- dies before its projectile hits the other mangonel and it's it itself is never attacked and what happens is this: the player with the lower mangonel, um, the yeah, the, the in this case um, subordinate mangonel, um, deletes his own mangonel as the projectile is in midair. What this means is that when the projectile hits the hilltop mangonel, the game has no reference for whether or not the lower down mangonel was at an equal uh, altitude or higher altitude or a lower altitude, and therefore it defaults to the flat damage or flat ground damage, and therefore the hilltop mangonel receives full damage and is destroyed. Does that make sense? Have I mangled this? It made sense to me, but I've seen the video. Right. Basically, you delete your own mangonel in order to trick the game into thinking that you are on an even plane with your mangonel enemy, therefore allowing you to kill that mangonel in one hit. And the loss of your own mangonel is uh is worth it in this case because it was guaranteed to die in one hit anyway going the other way um this is cool in the way that games sometimes are um, a little edge case thing. <laughs> yeah lovely little edge case get into the engine and see how it works thing um the question that fang has written is well what are the neat exploits or weird artifacts or game mechanics that you're aware of secondly and this is probably the part we can lean into what do you think is the line between being clever and basically cheating? And I think this is kind of interesting because obviously uh, figuring out and exploiting this 
window and when the engine calculates things like the engine doesn't happen to calculate the damage of the projectile when the projectile is fired it's calculated when it is hit and that reference to well what is the altitude of the attacker isn't calculated until the projectile hits is exploiting that timing uh cheating or is it clever anyone it was it feels to me that that um presumably like because it's age of empires this has existed for a long time like mm. And therefore, developers, designers have seen it and deemed it okay. You know, it's a it's a behavior that that is is not worth patching out, and that suggests to me that it's an interesting. It's it it adds to the to the mm. to the to the combat. I think, and that for me, I think that um, it's not cheating. It ain't bad if it adds to. The experience like it adds a little bit of strategy it adds a little thing you know like the fact is that the person did lose that they would have lost their mangonel either way um mm. but yeah it, it, so yeah, i think that if it adds yeah alex cool. you're saying you're saying that if it adds something to your experience if it spices up age of empires too after a long long relationship with that game then just annihilate your own mangonel at your leisure <laughs> exactly graham how do you feel see i'm not sure like Age of Empires 2 got an HD remaster sometime in the past year, mm. uh, which added tons of content, consolidated all the expansion packs, made it 4K compatible, added new custom modes uh, on all this stuff. And from that, a new competitive scene has grown yeah. around the game. And it's like it's become popular again in a way I don't think it really has been for 20 years. So I'm not sure that this is a thing that's been in the game for a long time that developers have decided to leave. It may be a oh, thing right. that was in the base game that only the players have only discovered now because it's got that competitive scene now that it probably mm. never had before, given that it was released right. in a time when networking wasn't that great. So, look, I'm not sure yeah. we can say that this is being condoned by the developers. At the same time, like the developers have given you the tools to delete your own manganel so you are you know in some way just using the systems provided to you i think i would say it doesn't feel quite like cheating to me but i think it's arguably unsportsmanlike like there is you know you are exploiting something unnatural about the systems like there's there's no reason why that catapult projectile should forget from where it was fired uh yeah, you know, and it's not behavior like the reason someone's making a video of this is that even people watching the game don't necessarily understand what has happened and they're making this video because people haven't seen this being done before because it's not expected behavior like we you know so what are you saying game. that that chris should give back that kill he made in destiny when um he was frozen but his magical <clears throat> gun made a shot anyway <laughs> no because well, alex you know, that was explained with time travel. <laughs> exactly. <Saves> the Mangonel. <laughs> right. Well, this is what I'm saying. So this is, this is, I think, where you solve this. Because I think the other reason, I think it's not necessarily cheating, but it is a trick. And, and I think it's also like, it's a degree of like pushing the skill ceiling up in terms of what's possible, but not in a way that you could ever expect most people to figure out because it doesn't break the, the game in a literal way, but it does break the, uh, the, not fantasy, but like the 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 sense of a simulation being supported by the mechanics. The mechanics are there to kind of roughly simulate that firing downhill is easier or something like that. Um, and it's breaking that logic. 
and therefore it's not it's not a technique you could necessarily expect a player in isolation to discover that they need to learn right um because it's not embodied in the actual action of the game in some way so what they need to do is they need to decide whether or not they want like manganel destruction to be a a feature rather than a bug if they want it to be a mechanic that they enjoy or that they encourage because it adds this extra level of you know twitch reaction speed and kind of potentially the, the possibility for clutch manganel plays and the other clutch. things the things that gen z go wild for on twitch right <laughs> like until you've seen a bunch of tweens lose their fucking minds because ninjas just deleted a manganel you don't understand what the next generation wants yeah. i think yeah. Yeah. um and you know like um and so if they choose that they don't want it, they want to give the kids what they want. And what the kids want is to see a manganel die, um, but for a noble cause, then I think what they need to do is reframe this, retheme this, embrace it and retheme it as a kind of manganel sacrifice mechanic, right? Where we establish some in logic that like, well, um, you know, after it dies, a manganel exists as a ghost manganel for <laughs> let's say a second, a whole second and ghosts as a universal rule are considered to occupy a higher plane of existence and therefore do base damage to everything, right? Or knowing that it's the end of its life, the manganel puts itself into its throwing yeah. pod thing mm. uh, and and you get an extra bonus attack because the manganel, the manganel throws itself. Yeah, can a manganel throw itself? Yes. Okay. The other thing it could you could establish is that a manganel always takes uh, full damage from any attack immediately after it sees another manganel die simply because they're naturally empathetic cap catapults. Yeah, the most <laughs> empathetic catapult going. Yeah, exactly. Right? And like a cold, aloof trebuchet with its long arm and, you know, dead weight uh, that it carries around everywhere and able to feel the manganel is an emotional catapult. Um, and therefore seeing another manganel, even an enemy manganel, fall to bits it briefly considers its own mortality and that forces it to ironically die at the hands of that deadly payload um, I mean, there are a lot of narrative justifications for i this. think what i'm saying is you could theme this right like it's also like the manganella sacrificed itself or how about this even better how about it's actually some kind of manganel grandfather paradox they're the same manganel <laughs> <laughs> they're the same manganel that manganel, the manganel firing will one day go on to father the father of the manganel it's firing at. When it destroys itself, it prevents the other manganel from ever having existed. And then in order to correct the timeline, the manganel takes full damage. Yeah, I can see Alexander or Napoleon or Gandhi, whoever the fells, I don't even know what era this is from. Anyway, uh, them taking advantage looks, of that. Looks like medieval. I don't know. One of them. Alexander then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's lots of options. Is it cheating? Probably not. Uh, trying to think of other good examples. I mean, the the the, the deep well for this is like Dota's built out of these things, right? But I can't even begin to cite them. It's just like a lot of things. Do with all wood. the way down. It is, yeah. <laughs> I guess the one I was thinking of is um, bunny hopping, which mm. is a way of exploiting the strange way movement physics work in first-person games. And a, a lot of games patched it out in 
and changed the way that movement worked in order to stop it. And other games, including some competitive games, were just like, no, that's just like, that's part of the, the scale of the game now. And that's increased our skill ceiling. So if you can do the yeah. money hopping, then it, fair play to like, you. And the abstraction just becomes the expected. Um, yeah, it's just action. these these terrorists and counter-terrorists are having a wonderful day. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> they just received some great news. They're skipping along. There's over 4,000 people watching Age of Empires 2 on Twitch right now. Twice as oh, many, shit. twice as many than are watching Hades. Twice as many than are watching the new Hyrule Warriors Zelda game. It's pretty good. Pretty that good pretty for good. a twenty-something year old game. You know, watching this makes me want to play Age of Empires too. And I'm it's, not even it... a cool teen. <laughs> <laughs> you could stream it. You could be a, a cool teen still. Oh. You could become yeah. a VTuber, then no one Claim would know it. what VTuber. Oh, no, no. Welcome to my welcome to my Age of Empires VTube. <laughs> and it's it's like my persona is just like a manganel but with anime cat ears. <laughs> you could have a little Tiramisu emote. And it's called Nyanganel. <laughs> there we go. And there it wow. is. Oh, you can't not do it now. I can. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well good well shit that's my new career (laughs) sometimes you're the uphill some days you're the uphill manganel some days you're the downhill manganel um that's all the life lessons we can draw from this thank you for sending us this video it was good i liked i liked it and i just like saying manganel 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 <clears throat> ah, you could say it was a phantom manganel. <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. I'm reaching. I, I, I'm not used to me doing one question, so I keep wanting to segue to something else. But I guess the only thing I could segue to is the end of the podcast, unless anyone's got any other good examples of cheating when it's not cheating. Let's go mm. to the end. And it sounds like no. So <clears throat> sorry. That is all of the questions and podcasts we've got time for. If you'd like to send us a question for next week. You can do so by emailing us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at creightoncrowbar. You can find our community on Discord. Uh, on Discord. And the link for that is on our website, creightoncrowbar.com. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. And thank you as ever to our Patreon supporters. Um, you can find out more about supporting the podcast, patreon.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. Thank you as ever. Uh, for letting us uh, do this thing and have done it for 350 times and keeping me in that good tiramisu. Much appreciated. Uh, Is there another thing I say at this point? Don't think there is. I've been Chris Thurston. I've been Alex Wilshire. And I shall remain Graham Smith. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. I was surprised by the womp. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See, I was expecting it. Ah, oh, you, you're wiser than me in this and many other ways. <laughs> oh, well, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>